Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians uh, and, and chapter 13. We're going to spend a few weeks looking at 1 Corinthians 13, a chapter I'm sure you're very familiar with. Uh, but if you have your Bible, open there, kind of get that ready. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew back in front of you or maybe under one of the, the, uh, the seats in the back that you can look at and read along if you want. What do you think? Now, now no one answer 1 Corinthians 13 because I obviously just threw that one out there. Uh, what, what do you think are, are some of the most popular verses in the, in the Bible? If, if you took a poll or asked people, uh, hey, what is the most quoted? What is the most known? I'm not necessarily saying your favorite, but, but, but people's most favorite, most well-known Bible verses. Th- throw out some. What do you think some of those might be? John 3.16, Jeremiah 29.11, Psalms 23, I guess maybe I was going to say, yeah. Philippians 4.13, bunch of different ones. I, I actually Googled that, and I came up with about, uh, amazingly, there are about five or six, or probably more than that, I only looked at about five or six different lists of favorite verses, and they were all different. But the one I settled on, the first favorite one was John 3.16. The second one was Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, and so forth. Uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Give me strength. Was third Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work to the good of those who love Him. Uh, and Philippians four six. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. Now I would, I would say, and and some of the lists it, it showed up a little bit further down. First Corinthians thirteen uh, was would be on a lot of people's list. And it might be there not because they necessarily know where it was from, but they know what is said there. Let me uh, uh, let, let me ask the question, uh, if, if you remember. How many of you had, at your wedding, had 1 Corinthians 13 or part of it read? Only one, two, okay, a couple people, yeah. Rita, did, she's not raising her hand, so I don't. I was hoping she would, and I'd say, yeah, I thought we did. I, I don't, 40 years is a long time. I don't remember if we had it read. We surely did, so I'll raise my hand. Uh, I bet a lot of people, even if they don't know what 1 Corinthians 13 is, and that doesn't ring a bell, but if you said to them, hey, where, 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 where's this from? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. They wouldn't know, but they'd say, hey, that's, that's from the Bible. Uh, the grace of, the, of these is, or the, uh, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. They say, hey, I had that read at my wedding. That's a Bible verse. Uh, uh, as apropos, as dead on, as hitting the mark, uh, these verses are in a wedding context, and, and, and they fit perfectly in a wedding context. As, as perfect as they are, and I, I don't want to burst any bubbles here today, but let me burst away. Paul wasn't talking about marriage here. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a marriage chapter. It's a chapter about love. So why? Why, why then did, 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 uh, did Paul put 1 Corinthians 13? Why, why, do we, why do we think it's about weddings? Part, part of the reason is we misunderstand uh, what, what love is about. We, we, we're not quite sure what love is, so we kind of toss... 1 Corinthians 13, we're uncomfortable when he talks about all this, all these things about love, so we, it's easy to toss it towards wedding, but, but we struggle with what love is. For, for instance, I love, Rita and I both love Carlos O'Kelly's. Uh, thank you to Derek and JC, uh, JC, Lacey. 
they gave us a, a gift card to Carlos. We used it last week. Uh, and, and I love Carlos O'Kelly's. Uh, I, I also love Chiefs football. I love my dogs. I, I love the smell of clean sheets that have been hung out to dry on a clothesline. I, I love KU basketball slash M, uh, uh, WWE wrestling, whatever, you know, whatever it might be. I, I love this church. I, I love when I don't have to wait in line at Walmart. I, I love Rita's taco soup and I love Rita. Well, that's a lot of different things. We love people. We love things. We love food. We love convenience. We love sports team. It's no wonder. It's no wonder we 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 see a chapter like this and like eh, I don't know if I want to talk about that. But Paul puts First Corinthians thirteen right in between two discussions about gifts. Chapter twelve of First Corinthians, and and I'll, I'll I'll challenge you to read that later. I'm going to reference a few verses here in a minute. Uh, and, and chapter 14, both of those chapters talk about gifts. Uh, uh, in, in the church, we oftentimes get hyper, uh, get hypersensitive. We almost hyperventilate when we're trying to figure out what our gift is. God, God gives us all gifts. Well, what's my gift? How am I supposed to use it? Where, where do I fit in? What am I supposed to do in the church? And we get so excited, get so, so, so focused on what our gift is that we miss what God really wants us to understand, which is the most important thing, and that is that He, that we are to to love, that we are to love. So, First Corinthians chapter twelve talks about gifts. Chapter twelve, verse one says, "Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I I don't want you to be ignorant." Chapter twelve, verses four to six said, "But there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit." There. Are Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Chapter 12, verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Uh, verse 27. Now you're the body of Christ. Each of you is part of it. So so gifts are important. Chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love, love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Chapter 12 or Chapter 14, verse 12. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, Try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Gifts are, gifts are important. Uh, figuring out and understanding our spiritual gifts and putting them into practice is valuable. Uh, if, if you're a leader, lead. If you are an encourager, encourage. If you serve, serve. If, 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 if your gift is generosity, then give generously. If it's teaching, use that gift to build others up in, in knowledge. If it's music, then use that. But when you pair your gift, when you pair your gift with love, it's what Paul says at the end of chapter 12, beginning of chapter 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Church, church, it's all about love. If you have your Bibles, let's read this morning just the first three verses. Uh, and then we'll work our way through the chapter in, in coming weeks. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love. I gain nothing. 
Now, now, if you read these verses without that qualifier, uh, but have not love, if you, if you just put them together as a group, this is what he said. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have the gift of prophecy, if, if I can fathom mysteries, all knowledge, uh, faith that can move mountains, if I give all that I have to the poor, if I surrender my body to flames, if you put that list, who do you think of when you hear that? Man, the first one I would think of would be, would be the Apostle Paul, might be Peter. Man, those are some biggies. I might think of missionaries like, like Dr. David Livingston or Jim Elliott, who literally gave his life because of his love for Jesus. I might think of Robert Morris, who, who served uh, for years and years in China. I might think of famous preachers like Charles Spurgeon or Billy Graham. But did you catch this? Each of those things that he's talking about, prophecy, knowledge, faith, giving, all of that, all of those are gifts. But without love. Without love. Without love, we are an empty noise. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's not enough. It's not enough to talk like a Christian. What, what does Paul mean when he says, uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and, able, uh, and, and angels? Probably, probably there's two different things that, that Paul's talking about. Both of them are good. One may be better than the other. Uh, but the problem with the church in Corinth was, was that they were missing the mark. They were emphasize, emphasizing these over, over love and, 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 and compassion and reaching out to people. So, so when he said, if you speak in the tongues of men, Probably what he was talking about, and, and we know this, because, again, because of context. He talks about it in chapter 12, and he talks about it again in chapter 14. He probably was talking about speaking in tongues. And, and really a better way to put that, he was probably talking about the spiritual gift to speak in other languages, because uh, that's what tongues are. Uh, we're not going to discuss whether tongues are alive today or not, but, but scripturally, tongues were speaking in a language that you didn't know. The Spirit giving you that ability so that someone else could hear in that language and know what was being said. So, so he's talking about, about uh, 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 talking in, in tongues. The problem in Corinth was, just like today, tongues were being used uh, as somewhat of a litmus test and a sign of hyper-spiritualism. And it was causing confusion and discord in the church, same as true of today. So when he said tongues of men, he probably was talking about the gift of speaking in tongues or the gift of speaking in a language that you didn't know. When he said tongues of angels, he's probably here talking about prophecy. Now, he'll touch on it again, but he's probably here talking about prophecy. Oftentimes, when angels would appear to men, uh, they, they would prophesy, they would tell a message from God about something that was going to happen. A, a case in point, when, a, when, the, when the angel appeared to Mary and said, hey, you are going to be with child. You're going to give birth to the Christ child. The, the angel spoke for God and spoke about something that was going to happen. In Corinth, they were emphasizing prophecy. They were emphasizing having a word from God. And, and, and that's important and it's valuable, but they were, they were emphasizing it over love. So Paul was saying, if you speak in tongues or if you have a word from God, both of them gifts, both of them 
important, but both of them easily abused for power, and you don't have love. It's an empty noise. Let me, uh, let me point out, this is what Paul describes. He describes it two ways. He, he says, you are a uh, resounding gong. Probably, probably what Paul meant, where they would understood that, would, would have been a metal, uh, a metal tube that, that would have been used to amplify. So, so the best way we would understand it is maybe like a megaphone. So, so a megaphone used in a right situation. In the right place, a megaphone uh, is good. Uh, I don't really know when a megaphone is good except for cheerleaders. That's the only time I've ever seen a cheerleader hold it. But, but when you do that, you can hear it. Now, I don't, I don't have a megaphone. I didn't know who to borrow one from, so I made my own. Uh, thank you, Carla Johnson. This came from a package of white trash bags that I bought to help D-West kids go to Washington, D.C. or whatever that helps. Uh, I took one of these tubes out because because every time we had a tube like this appear at our house, maybe a trash bag uh, roll in, emptied up or or at Christmas time and and paper roll ended up, uh, when, when the kids were little, we'd have one of these. You know the natural thing that happens when a kid picks one of these up. Well, you got to talk in it like that, really. And you think when you do that, my kids would do this. They would, hey, yeah, hey. <laughs> yeah. I say my kids. This morning I got this, and that's what I did to Rita. Hey, Rita. <laughs> so, so a megaphone or or something. Actually, my microphone is a a, a megaphone. It's it's amplifying my voice. So anything to amplify in the right situation is good, but 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 in the wrong situation, it's just noise. It's just noise. And he says, or maybe a clanging cymbal. And literally, that would have been, they would have understood that as a cymbal that was making a bunch of, of, of noise. Now, a cymbal, when it's part of a symphony or, or it's part of a band, it's part of a, a group of instruments, a cymbal is, uh, is, is part of the collection. A cymbal can add to, can enhance, can add beauty when it's part of something bigger than itself. Uh, all, all of us here, or just a, everyone here that's alive anyway, uh, when, when, when we do the song, uh, Beautiful Name, I think, is, and Bobby has that one symbol, that one place where it starts off quiet and then builds to crescendo, I, I mean, that gives goosebumps to, to all of us. But it's part of a, it, it's part of a bigger thing. So I'm actually going to have Bobby illustrate this for me. Um, Bobby, come on up. You act like you didn't know it. Come on. I, I'm going to... I've been I've been after Johnny to let Bobby do a drum solo and it's not happened yet. So today I'm going to have Bobby uh, do a cymbal solo, uh, and and we're not we're not going to do the whole song. We're not going to do verse and chorus or, or two verse. But I'm going to have him play. We we sung earlier "Amazing Love," "Amazing Love." I don't think okay. Bobby's going to play "Amazing Love" on his cymbal. This is going to be beautiful. Okay, okay, okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's... You know what that sounds like? Noise. Yeah. Bo- Bobby's good. Bobby can make that cymbal ring, but I-, I wasn't getting the beat at all, so I don't know if it was there. But, but, but a clanging cymbal by itself, out of context, is just, it's just noise. See, it's not enough to just talk like a Christian. 
Now, let me let me uh, let, let me make an application. Uh, so, so, what does this mean for us? Because I, I don't I don't know um, I don't know that we struggle. At least currently, we're not struggling with tongues being an issue in our church, and I don't know that we struggle with uh, with uh, people abusing. Hey, I've got a word from God type thing. I don't think you know that's an issue that we struggle with. So, so what in the world could he be saying to us? What what can we take from this uh, that 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 if I, I speak with tongues of men and, and angels. We, we sometimes, I believe, in the church as believers, we sometimes think we need to talk in a certain way. And if we don't talk, and I'm a, I, I, I don't know that I can explain this, and you may take this different ways than I mean it, and I apologize if that happens, but, but sometimes we feel like we have to talk spiritual. And if I don't talk spiritual enough, uh, I think sometimes in the church we we feel like maybe we're judged and, and maybe that happens. I don't think it happens very often, but 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 I think what happens in the church if we don't talk spiritual enough, we we feel inferior. Let let me let me explain it this way. I am not. You probably figured this out already in uh, the time I've been here. I am not what I call a spiritual talker. I don't. I've got friends. I've got ministry friends and people out of ministry that are good friends of mine that are are spiritual talkers. They. They are able, and it, it, it is such an encouragement, and it's such an impression to me. They are able to make everything about God. All their conversations, somehow, they're able to add a spiritual bent to it, a spiritual application. And I come away, I always come away encouraged. And I always think, man, I, I, just, I don't do that. That doesn't come natural to me. And, and so I also come away feeling oftentimes a little bit inferior. And I wonder, I wonder if some of, of you might feel the same way. So, so if you are a spiritual talker, if that's natural to you, if God has given that to you, then keep doing it because that actually encourages uh, uh, other believers. So keep doing it. But but if you're not, and you come to, sometimes walk away thinking, well, I must not be spiritual because I don't invoke God's name in everything I say, then 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 let me encourage you with this thought. Uh, it. It's not about how we talk. We need to sanctify our, our words, and, and we need to we we need to move towards that. But but he says here the most excellent way is loving like Christ. My friend Brian told a story about a guy in his church, a church he pastored in Minnesota several years ago. This guy's name was George. George owned a a, a garage, and uh, he, he had re- lived a, a rough life, kind of had a rough upbringing, and someone invited him to church, and George. George ended up uh, coming to church every Sunday and eventually got saved, and Brian had a chance to baptize him, and, and, and George got, got excited about his faith. He got on fire about his faith and was biting other people, and man, he was just turning things upside down because of his faith. But Brian said one of the things that he struggled with, he was so used to talking a certain way and using certain words that weren't necessarily churchy words or spiritual words, and, and that, that hadn't changed yet. God hadn't sanctified that in George yet. And said, Brian said, I stopped one day, stopped by his garage, I was driving by, so I thought, I'll just stop in and say hi to George. And so he stopped, and, and George saw him and said, he said, hey, Pastor, how the blank are you? And, and Brian said he was used to it, so it didn't affect him all. And then, then, then he said, hey, Brian, I want you to meet, I want to meet my employee, Rick. He's the one I was telling you about. I've been inviting him to church. In fact, I told him just yesterday, you better get your blank out of bed Sunday morning and come to church with me, or there's going to be blank to pay. And, and, and after a while, those of you that filled the words incorrectly, shame on you. Uh, uh, 
after a while, he said, there's some people in the church that started coming to Pastor Brian and said, Brian, you know, this guy, this guy, you know, he's, he's, we were downstairs in the, in the basement, and, and he let a couple words go that just my kid, you know, I had to cover my kid's ears. And, and, and Brian said this, hey, you're right, you're right. He, he really does need to change his language. He, he's working on that, and I, I've talked to him about that. But, but have you noticed something? Have you noticed that George is loving on people? Without love, we're just uh, empty noise. With, without love, we are an empty, uh, an empty people. Look at verse 2. Uh, notice this impressive group of things that Paul lumps together in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, again, he's kind of going back to prophecy, uh, and can fathom all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I wonder... I wonder who they would have uh, wonder who they would have thought of when Paul says talks about prophecy and knowledge and discernment, faith that can move mountains. Referring back to Matthew seventeen twenty, where Jesus said, "If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say this mountain move and it'll move." I wonder when 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 they read that. I wonder who they thought of. I, I, who do you think of when, when you think of when you see that list of of a uh, of gifts together, prophecy, knowledge, mysteries, understand mysteries, have faith. Who do you, you think of? Maybe, maybe you think of some wise old pastor that you used to have or an elder that, that was in your church when you were growing up that you revered or maybe is in the church now, a humble grandmother, grandfather that, that set you on their knee and told you the simple stories about Jesus or, or maybe a radio preacher that you hear uh, d- daily and just really speaks to your heart or an, or an author that inspires you with their, with their words, they, they probably were thinking Paul. But if we have all of that and we don't have love, we're empty people. See, it's not enough to teach like a Christian. It's not enough to have the, the knowledge and be able to impart uh, the, the words prophecy Prophecy in Scripture really means two things. One, it is predicting things that are to come. It's a word from God that is talking about something that's not happened yet. But more often than not, prophecy is just speaking the words of God. It's, it's talking about what God wants us to know, to encourage and lift us up and to move us. In, in my home church, I, uh, I remember two of the elders that we had growing up. These are the only two I remember. And they were kind of on opposite sides of the spectrum. One of them was a guy named Ronnie Sides. I think I've, I've actually used Ronnie as an illustration before. Ronnie was a, was a fantastic teacher. He taught a Sunday school class of adults, and it was, a, it was the largest Sunday school class in the church. They were, the, the people were, uh, were, were impressed with Ronnie. People loved his class, and he, he did a great job. I, I mean, his lessons were precise, and they were, were well thought out and well put together. They were full of scripture and full of application. I mean, Ronnie was a great teacher. I mean, everyone loved to sit at his feet and listen to him talk. But my mom did not like Ronnie Sides. Now, now she never said much. That wasn't her character to, to complain. But, but I, there was just little things I picked up as I was growing up. I picked up and I knew for one reason or another, mom must not have liked Ronnie very much. And, and uh, it, it was a little bit, Later, when I was older, when I got to know him a little bit better, that I found out something about Ronnie. He could, he could teach like Jesus. Well, almost, not, not quite as good. He taught like Jesus, but he didn't love like Jesus. 
He could he could lay it out and he could explain it. And he could he, he he could point it out, but he wasn't living it very well. The other elder was a guy named Noble Burns. Noble Noble taught the youth. He he wasn't flowery. He wasn't well spoken. He was teaching you, so he didn't have anyone sitting at his feet, uh, you know, clamoring to hear his words. His job was trying to keep us all in check. But when you were around Noble, you knew you were loved. Uh, it's not enough to just teach like a Christian. It's not enough to just think like a Christian. Now, don't misunderstand. We should want to think deep thoughts. We should want to think scriptural thoughts. We should want to think like a Christian. First Timothy 2.15 says, do, the best, uh, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. We, we are challenged to know God's word, to seek his mysteries, to, to, to know uh, and have faith. We, we are challenged to do that. But if we desire wisdom and knowledge without love, it's nothing. Roy Weiss um, has gone on to be with the Lord now. He's got a big mansion somewhere in heaven. Roy Weiss was a campus minister at University of Missouri, uh, and he was legendary throughout our movement. Uh, people knew about Roy Weiss, and one of the things that was was impressive about Roy was he was he was probably one of the most intelligent guys that people had ever met. Roy, it, it was said of him, and, and and I heard that he had the New Testament memorized, the not part of it, not the books of the New Testament memorized. He had the whole New Testament memorized. I, I heard and I tend to believe it that not only that, he had the New Testament memorized in different versions. Man, I, I can't quote Psalm 23 without going between King James, New International, and Revised Version. Uh, but he could, I was told, now I don't know if it's true that, that he had the New Testament memorized in more than one, uh, uh, one version. And I even heard, now I don't know that I believe this, but someone told me, and this may have been, may have been not true, that, that he had the New Testament memorized in Greek. I don't know if that's true or not, but here, here suffice it to say, man, he was smart. In, in fact, our son, middle son Joel uh, went to the uh, campus ministry at University of Missouri, and he confirmed for me that we had the New Testament memorized, where he would say, hey, turn to First John chapter 1, verse 9, and, and he would just, never had his Bible, he'd just quote it. And then he'd say, oh, turn to John 14, uh, 12 through 14, and he would just say it. Now, now some people can memorize a couple verses they might use in a sermon. I'm not one. I'm not even one of those. But, but, but he had the whole New Testament. This guy, this guy was, was smart. Man, intelligent. Uh, about about six years ago, when before I came here to Troy, when I was working for Midwest Paint Equipment, I was in a paint store in Jefferson City, Missouri, and I was in the back room, and there was an older gentleman that was working there, and. He was kind of a common guy. He was just kind of a grunt worker there at the paint shop. And we got talking. I don't even know how it came up. And, and he, I asked him where he, where he was from. And he, uh, he lived in Eldon, Missouri, if I remember correctly, which is not too far from Jeff City. And, and I don't know how we got there. I don't know if – but we got talking church. We got talking something about church. And, and uh, I think I told him that I went to Ozark Christian College. And, and any time uh, – I say that, and if I see someone's eyes light up, I know that they know what I'm talking about. And, and he said, oh, he said, do you know Roy Weiss? And I said, well, I, I know who he is. I don't know him personally. I heard him speak a couple times. But he said, and I believe I remember, I said, Roy was from my 
from, from Eldon. He was from my hometown. And he began to talk about Roy. He says, this common, just common labor in the back of this paint part, the part. He said, man, Roy. And you know what he talked about? He didn't talk about how smart he was. He didn't say to me, yeah, did you know he had the New Testament memorized in three different translations? You know what he said to me? He said, what, man, Roy, he is a great guy. That Roy Reese loves like Jesus. He would give you the shirt off his back. He said, you know what? It doesn't make a difference who you are, whether you're important or, and the guy kind of said this, or if you're someone just like me who's not that important. He made you feel like you were the most important person they ever spoke to. Uh, man, he was smart. He, he knew the Bible, but he also loved. See, it's not enough just to be transformed like a Christian. I, I love I love transformation stories. I love to hear people's testimonies of, of how God has taken them, how, how God has moved mountains in their life because of their faith. But without love, they're empty. See, we can, we can say all the right things. We can know, know all the right things. We can do all the right things. But are we showing God? Church, when does the world, when does the world look at us and judge us? Now, now, sometimes they do it unfairly, and we've talked about that before. But, but sometimes the church sees us as judgmental, and sometimes the, or the the world sees us as judgmental. The world sees us as harsh. Sometimes the world sees us as uh, unforgiving, unwelcoming, and unloving. And oftentimes this happens when we only prioritize our teaching, our knowing, and our believing but not our loving. A little girl was drawing a picture, and her mom stepped up behind her, looked over her shoulder, and and could tell that she was drawing a picture of a person. And and she looked at her and said, well, honey, who are you drawing a picture of? The little girl looked up at mom and said, I'm I'm drawing a picture of God. And uh, the the mom said, well, well, honey, uh, honey, no one knows what God looks like. And the little girl, turning back to her uh, her drawing and continued to draw, she said, well, they will when I'm done. <laughs> the, the, the truth is, when we love, that's when people, that's when people see God. With, without love, we live empty lives. It's not enough. It's not enough to have the selflessness of a Christian. Of all the, the gifts, of all the things he talks about here, maybe, maybe verse 3 is the most impressive. Verse 3 is, man, it is the most sacrificial. It is the most, man, it is the most out there. If I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, man, if I give away, if I sacrifice everything, but I don't love like Jesus, I gain nothing. Don't, don't miss the point. These gifts they're important. And, and these gifts are to be used in the church to, to uh, encourage and to comfort and to lead the church. We, we, we need the gifts, church. That's why he spends chapter 12 and chapter 14 telling us how important they are. So, so don't misunderstand. Gifts are important. But we have to couple them. We have to mesh them. We have to pair them with love. little boy named Chad was was kind of shy, just a little bit backwards, just a, a little bit, a, a little bit, a uh, little bit out there, and 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 
and he wasn't all that popular in his school. So one day when he came home, it was, it was about this time of year, he came home from school and he told his mom, he said, Mom, I want to make a Valentine for every kid in my class. And, and his mom kind of wanted to discourage him because she knew he didn't have a lot of friends. So, so see, she saw him walk home from school every day and there would be a group of kids all huddled together, poking at each other and laughing and kidding and, and, and uh, horsing around. And then behind them, about 10 paces back, would be Chad all by himself. And, and so she thought, well, boy, you know, this could go bad. But she thought, okay, okay, honey, we'll do that. And so, so for three weeks, Chad and, and his mom worked on these Valentines, a Valentine for all 35 kids in his class. And, and, and Valentine's Day came. And he had them all done, and he put them in his box, and he headed off to school, and he was excited. But his mom, his mom wasn't. He, she just knew that he was going to come home disappointed that day. And so a so little, little later that day in the afternoon, she baked some cookies. And, and about 3 o'clock when he was going to be coming walking home, she had cookies on a plate and a glass of milk. The cookies were warm out of the oven, a glass of milk sitting there. And, and she just knew his little heart was going to be, was going to be hurting, and, and she would uh, – she would kind of lift him up with those cookies. And sure enough, as they headed down, she heard the laughter, and she looked out, and, and there was the group of kids. They were walking, and they were carrying their boxes, and they were goofing around, and there about ten paces behind was Chad, and his, his hands were empty. There wasn't a bunch of cards he was holding. He said he walked through the front door, and, and as he walked in, his mom said to him, said, Mommy has some cookies for you, honey. Mommy's got some cookies for you but she said he didn't even notice her words he marched right on past her saying not a one not a one she said her heart sank until he added i didn't forget a one i didn't forget a single one god has gifted us in his body with so many wonderful gifts and we have so so many gifts in the church let's pair that let's pair that with love would you bow with me father we thank you we thank you for the simplicity of scripture we thank you for your word father we thank you for first corinthians 13 that's going to challenge us to love like Jesus. Father, give us open hearts and open minds. Father, teach us to use the gifts that you've given us, but teach us to use them from a heart of love. We pray this in Jesus' name.